Sounds of the surf, surf. Man, I got styly, man, I got swag. I'll be in a blue shirt chasing a bag, long ball from the back. Welcome to Chelsea Mic'd Up. I'm your host, Mike Ryan Ruiz. I'm joined by my neutral observer, Chris Whittingham, and this is the goods. This is what you watch for. This is this is a reward for being emotional, Chris Whittingham. <laughs> this is what's at the other end of the spectrum. I'm gutted when we lose at home to Bournemouth, and now I'm riding the highest of football highs. And I actually got to witness it in person, right. which was amazing. And we can get into the week that we've had later on in the pod. This I, is like I, the culmination of your entire fan journey. This was insane. Again, I know that we have a lot of Chelsea fans that are super excited and want to hear about this match. So let's start with the breakdown of what was the match of the season so far for Chelsea. And that's saying something because that IX match was insane. But this was... <laughs> I mean, you all felt it. You're listening to this pod right now. There's a good chance you're not a neutral observer like Chris Whittingham. There's a good chance that you're a Chelsea supporter. And you felt what was at stake headed into this match. It felt like a, a campaign might have been on the brink with Wolves and Sheffield and Tottenham, their improved form sort of breathing down Chelsea's neck. That buffer that you had built up over the course of the season had dwindled and you were going to go down on goal differential to Tottenham if you lost this game. And most pundits, most experts, most casual fans, most people were just picking Tottenham to win this game, obviously just based off of recent form. And Frank Lampard makes a tactical decision for the ages and totally tactically undressed Jose Mourinho, who was not at all ready for what came his way. Yeah, we were watching uh, the BBC's Match of the Day, which is similar to the NBC version, but it's kind of like the first time that anyone in the country gets to see highlights. And they did a brilliant tactical breakdown of the way Chelsea going from their usual 4-3-3 to a back three, which they've played at varying times in the year. As a matter of fact, this morning we were having a very dorky conversation about which version of Chelsea, and it was the back three version, that we saw today, and I just think it makes sense for the way that Chelsea center backs play, for the way that Marcus Alonso in particular plays as a wing back. Cesar Spiliqueta can play anywhere, and he played that right wing back role to perfection. Even the work that Mason Mount does, it almost gives him more freedom to do more running and be all over the pitch as opposed to just being in that central area in a creative role. It just set Chelsea on their way, and you really saw Tottenham struggling to cope with the way that Chelsea were set up. And look, I don't want to be too harsh on Jose Mourinho, although I'd certainly love to because I'm not a fan of Jose Mourinho and I never have been. But these are nuances of a game that you learn over months, over preseason, over dealing with multiple opponents. So he's still new in this job and it was going to be difficult for his team to have an answer to everything. But they had no answers. And I thought Tottenham Hotspur were played off the park. And we thought this would be a good game. We thought this would be end-to-end. We thought there'd be goals from both teams. But what I did not have was Tottenham summoning such a feeble effort towards Chelsea. As a matter of fact, after the game, I learned, courtesy of the Chelsea TV interview with Frank Lampard, that there wasn't a single shot on goal. There wasn't a single shot. Kepa didn't have to make a single save. That was a feckless effort from Tottenham Hotspur. Let's go through that starting 11 as Frank listed it. Kepa, obviously, and net, as you pointed out, not something that I realized. It's really difficult to take in all the, uh, <laughs> the, nuances. Uh, the nuances of the game, especially at the away end at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The sight lines there aren't too kind. I really got a great look at what Tamori did today, and I thought Tamori was excellent. Yeah, we thought he was man of the match 
match almost exclusively because of our perspective. We're just watching him the whole time. We had Keppa, Rudiger, Tamori, Zuma. Let's talk about that back three for a moment because I know they played it at Wolves, and I know there's probably some frustrated Chelsea fans saying, look how good we look, but you have to remember, Rudiger went down in the first half against Wolves, and Tamori has been injured while Rudiger has been working his way back. This is really one of the first opportunities Frank's had to be able to play Tamori and Rudiger alongside of Zuma, who's been really good this season after a maybe shaky start against Manchester United, coming to grips with this whole new system in play. Kurt Zuma's probably been one of the more consistent players for Frank Lampard. That's a back three. Aspiliqueta, who's been just so unbelievably versatile for this team and really has shown you that his Chelsea career in the latter stages is really going to be dependent on that versatility. Uh, having a leader like that that you can sort of plug anywhere along that back line is such a huge thing, especially when you're a team like Chelsea that's always looking at European fixtures. Conte, Kovacic, Alonso. Alonso, credit to him for staying ready because he hasn't been featuring much at all lately. And for him to be as sharp as he has, I know he's had some pretty great performances for Chelsea along his career against Tottenham in particular, drawing the penalty, which was called a dive initially. <laughs> I, or, or, I want to be kind of Anthony Taylor. It could have been a foul that Marcus Alonso goes clattering into the goalkeeper, but it was clearly the other way around. In real time, we're standing at the opposite end and we're going, I'm shouting, that's nailed on penalty. You listen to all the pundits. I, I was I listened to the commentary back from Guy Mowbray on Match of the Day, from Gary Neville and Martin Tyler and Real Time on Sky, and everyone was like, that's nailed on penalty, and they were all stunned when the referee gave a foul on VAR. Good VAR today, I guess, although it's more of a shocking refereeing decision than good VAR. But yeah, I mean, that's a definite pen. I saw the observation on Twitter, and I really wish I could credit them. The name escapes me at the moment, but it seems as though Chelsea finally cashed in all their VAR loyalty points today. <laughs> and I know that... I I got it from a couple of neutral fans like, oh, VAR has been good to Chelsea today. I, VAR did its job today. Correct. I, I, don't, I Correct. don't think any of these things were on the line. We can get into what happened with Rudiger a little bit later on. But uh, Kovacic gets a little testy. He makes an appearance in the starting 11. You like to see that fire, especially in this London derby. Willian, Abraham, and Mount. No Christian Pulisic in the starting 11. No Jorginho. No Reese James, whom I'd really like to see uh, in this formation. Yep. And perhaps we'll have plenty of opportunity in the coming months. And we actually have sound of Frank Lampard when he was asked in particular about this formation and how much more we might be seeing. And it seems as though Frank's a fan of it too. Today was more Tottenham play a lot of balls behind. They go longer sometimes and they can run and they're quick and they're dangerous. So an extra centre-back was always going to help with that, you hope. But in terms of keeping the ball, I think Tottenham again are defensively very good. But we wanted to use the size of the pitch. We wanted to open up the game and and uh, that takes a bit of bravery and confidence to come here and play and play and play like we did. So um, we'll see going forward. I think sometimes there's an argument to play it. Sometimes you look at a team and go, do we need the extra defender? That's for us. I want us to be flexible, so we'll see. That sound comes courtesy of the Fist Sand app. It was amazing seeing Frank's passion afterwards. Coming to the away stands, not really something that you've seen from Frank all that, but he's more of a reserved, even his playing days, he was more of a reserved player, but to have a manager that was feeding off of that emotion and he actually gave voice to it we'll go to more sound well literally gave his voice to it yeah. because he, he was a bit hoarse in that post-match interview <laughs> yeah we go to more sound from the fist and app uh, frank lampard talking about the way support and uh, chelsea's effort for them that wasn't getting carried away with a one win because i think what it showed the players how they play today how that, what belief that should give them if they keep doing it 
at what it showed the fans that have travelled here to our big rivals, our London rivals and league rivals, that we can go and play like that. It deserved to be a bit of an extra celebration. It did. It did. It felt... Well, firstly, instinctively, it felt good. But also, I think, for what it meant today, near Christmas, they've seen us toil a bit at home and not get some recent results, but they've stuck with us. All I hear is positivity from the Chelsea fans who I speak to and we understand and all that stuff. But we want to give them back what they saw today as a performance. I would have loved that if I was sitting at home or sitting in that stadium. What was really cool after the match, actually, not only Frank's reaction, which has obviously made its way through social media, but William giving up his jersey, Aspilicueta giving up his jersey, Tammy Abraham clapping, Mason Mount giving up his jersey to the supporters. Again, you can find all that on the Chelsea Fist Stand app. And I said them and sending that sound clip up, but Chris, that was us. It was us. It was us. <laughs> we were there. This was a, an amazing experience. I'm so happy we won. It would have, to be frank, it would have kind of sucked if we came all this way and had such the week that we had and to not get a positive result. But not only did we get a positive result, this is a result that's going to be remembered forever because William hates Tottenham. <laughs> and at halftime, that was the only song that the Chelsea away supporters were singing. And we have to sort of explain the scene. So basically, when you go into the stadium at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, you're going from the White Hart Lane, London Overground Station, and you're being escorted by the police. And their horses. And their horses to get there. And you go inside, and you're basically quarantined off from the rest of the stadium. And there are these two sections that the Chelsea supporters are in. And there are these three bars that everyone congregates. And there's kind of like this weird stairs structure, but they have these signs that people are banging, these metal signs. Yeah, shout out to the architect of Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> Stadium for not making that all cement because yeah. you have just made a playground yeah. for Chelsea supporters for the next, you know, scores of years. And so at halftime, the song of Willian is sung, and I don't know all the lyrics off the top of my head, maybe we can look them up, but it's basically it's the song about how William almost went to Tottenham, then Roman Abramovich sent to plane, and now he hates Tottenham. He hates Tottenham. He hates Tottenham. Brace for William. Spectacular placement on that first goal. Just what a performance. I mean, everybody in this starting 11 and the subs that came on as brief. There wasn't a single bad performance <laughs> from Chelsea. It was a thorough domination. We saw how confused Tottenham was when Chelsea came out with that formation, Dyer's all over the field, gets subbed off at halftime, Erickson comes in, and this is kind of a bizarre thing. I want to say on Tottenham for a little bit, even though Chelsea were great, and trust me, plenty of time to sing their praises, but let's say on the Tottenham thing for a little bit, because I want to talk to you about what this means for Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho lost to Manchester United, but all in all, it's been very good for him in the Premier League. However, we haven't really seen him play the Mourinho style. It's kind of very odd to me watching because it's just Pochettino's tactics and a new manager that's trying to keep some cohesion. Obviously, we saw today not a lot of time on the training ground to implement his defensive strategy and tactics. So Jose Mourinho comes in and Tottenham start rising in the table. And to me, and I think you agree with this point, Chris, it was sort of an ascension to the mean. They were too good to be 14th at the time. And credit to them for making the change because the team wasn't responding at the time. I think this run of form they were probably due for anyways. The run of form that was up until today's match. When Erickson comes on at halftime, we were looking at each other. And we got to see them for a little bit before Son got sent off. 
And it was just more of the same that I've seen from Tottenham over. I had to sort of remind myself that Jose Mourinho was the manager. And I thought Jose Mourinho would be sort of this hard nosed manager to prevent Tottenham from doing Tottenham things. And I guess that's on me for really not paying attention to Spurs over the course of my entire yep. football watching lifetime, and really Jose Mourinho since 2015, Chris. You mentioned this earlier when we were on the train ride back, and you make an, an excellent point, how Jose Mourinho trades on mystique and trades on, I don't want to say forward momentum, because that's sort of a cliche, but just this sort of Jose Mourinho is inevitable, right? And I think him being able to figure things out and that mystique that he carried with him in the Premier League in that second stint at Chelsea, obviously it falls off as he takes them you know, to the edge of the relegation zone and then gets fired. And then at Man United, it never really turned it around. He finished second and he sort of touts that as an accomplishment. He won, but a, that's, he won a Europa League but, trophy. But that's, that's not what Jose Mourinho trades on. He trades on it being at the top of the Premier League and having all the answers. And today, I think you started to see that he's got real work to do. And now I'm starting to wonder when the transfer market requests come up because they're really short at fullback and then they have a, a difficult time getting their midfield balance right and I think that's what we saw today in the second half is they basically played three at the back with Vertonghen, Sanchez, and Alderweireld and then just everyone go forward like in front of him like there isn't a defensive-minded player in Ericsson, in Aurier, in Ali, in Lucas Mora, in Son, in Kane. There just isn't a defensive-minded player in that bunch, and they struggle to figure out balance. I think Chelsea, I think the sending off kind of forces Spurs to play a bit more conservatively, but I think had... I didn't really notice Son not being out there, really, because defensively, it seemed as though they were down a man the entire match anyways, considering the spacing Chelsea had. But to what you were discussing about the whole special one mistake, that's obviously dissipated over these years. Anytime he gets a, a good run of form under his team, he's a front runner, Jose Mourinho. And you have to sort of not only fight against Tottenham, but the special one and and the team start believing and it could be a, a dangerous thing. That's why I think this match was so big, not only for Chelsea, obviously, in the Premier League, but for the psychological warfare, you just showed the Premier League that the Emperor has no clothes. Or that this guy who is taking an inch you denied him the opportunity to take a mile because the headspace that he occupies, if he comes in and in a month overturn, what was the, the point difference? 10, 10 point difference between Chelsea and Spurs when he takes over and it would have been evaporated. It would have been gone over the course of a few games that he's been in charge. And now he's kind of in your headspace at that point. And Jose Mourinho, the special one is on the charge and he's going to take Tottenham into the top four. Now this is a true six pointer because you go from being, if Tottenham win your level on points, now you have six points clear and you've got that breathing room again and hopefully Chelsea can start to win matches against these lower sides like Southampton on Boxing Day. Let's talk about the man of the match Willian. I know we uh, concentrated There were many candidates but (laughs) but Willian definitely deserves it. Honestly I thought Tamori was brilliant and it's again apologies for our sight lines we were watching it back and we saw a lot of the good that Tammy Abraham did which was hard to notice when you're actually there live so Willian has been a player, especially recently on Chelsea Twitter. There's a a segment that just doesn't see why he should be getting playing time over some of the youngsters. And sometimes they make solid points and sometimes they are far too emotional. But Willian delivered for you today and for Frank Lampard today in a way that, quite honestly, he has several times this season. I think it's time that Chelsea Twitter, that segment of Chelsea Twitter, and really football fans as a whole, William's been a fantastic player 
for Chelsea. He's had incredible moments. And while it didn't happen against Bournemouth, there are special flashes of brilliance with Willian's play where he can go out and win you a match. And the way that Chelsea was playing today, if it wasn't going to be Willian, it was probably going to be somebody else. But it was Willian today. And he's had iconic moments against this London rival. Pride of London, Chelsea. That's what the marketing campaign says. Well, William helped prove it today. Yeah, and I think he's a player who has that special dynamism that, frankly, Chelsea have missed at times this year. Worthy of the number 10. Of, right, exactly. And I think that, and that's the point I wanted to make is that Frank trusts him with that number 10. And ultimately, that's a choice that, you know, manager and club and player alike have to make. And I think when you take on that shirt, especially as a Brazilian, that you take on a responsibility to be the creative engine for a team. And I think at times for Willian, it's probably been hard to basically kind of be the guy opposite Hazard, right? And be the guy playing in a defensive structure under Mourinho and under Conte and playing with Diego Costa. He's never really been the featured guy in this Chelsea attack. And I wonder if he's sort of relishing this opportunity. And today's really the first time that he took on a featured player kind of role. He received the ball. And and I think the, the reason why Chelsea fans, I think, sometimes get rightly upset is that when he gets the ball and it stops, especially in a flowing move, if nothing comes of it, then it can get really frustrating. But today when the ball came to him and it stopped, it seemed like time stood still. It seemed like the whole game was kind of bending around what William was thinking of doing next. He played some balls on these counterattacks that were just unbelievable. Oh, no, th- th- it was straight one, up matrixy. There's one towards the end of the game that they highlighted on a match of the day where he just snags the ball out of the air, two touches, and on the second touch, on the volley, plays a perfect ball on the path of Michi Batshuayi, who could have slid in mount, instead goes it alone and just misses wide. That happened right in front of uh, the, the away supporters, but it was just an incredible piece of skill, and the entire match He's just summoning the creativity and the skill over and over and over again and was well-deserving of Man of the Match. Hi, this is Ashley Cole. You're listening to Chelsea Mic'd Up. We should take the opportunity, Chris, to thank Chelsea Football Club as a whole, all our contacts over here from John, Sam, to Susie and Security. To Mr. Oh, White. Susie and Security, what a legend. <laughs> to Mr. White, who was uh, doing the, uh, the stadium tour for us. First class, top to bottom, a week that I'll never forget, and this is so surreal, this entire week. We're recording this podcast from a hotel that's at Stamford Bridge. We cut across Stamford Bridge as our shortcut to the two. We're in the shed end, basically. <laughs> this is, I mean, I looked at you one day, I'm like, because I like their uniforms, <laughs> like, as an American watching the World Cup, watching DDA Drogba, trying to seek out what his club team was, falling in love with those beautiful blue kits, and developing a passion for the club over time as an American, you know, you hear it. You're not from London. You're not a true blue. But this has been my team, and American fandom is a little bit different. And I'm just so blessed that my life has led me to this moment. And the fact that not only is the club flying me out, but as an added bonus, they're all super nice yes. and incredibly professional and great at their jobs and I know this is a Chelsea affiliated podcast so you're not truly expecting us to you know come out here and just wreck the club but I wouldn't be gushing about them if I didn't truly sincerely believe it it's been a week that I will remember for the rest of my life. It, look, you're not a Chelsea fan, and yeah. you're you're the neutral observer. <laughs> and this week was special even for you. Yeah, I mean, look, it starts with 
the liquidator button at, uh, at Stanford Bridge. I know you love the liquidator button. The, the tour that we got from, I believe it was David, uh, David White at, at the stadium was just incredible. And look, I just love, I love the Premier League. I love football. I love being in all these places. And we got twice this week to just walk around the bridge as if we kind of own the place. And the level of accommodation we've gotten from the club, they're so eager to help us with what we're doing. And obviously we're eager to deliver them as good a product as we can. And it's just been brilliant. I mean, we had the chance to go to the manager press conference on Friday. Didn't get a chance to ask a question where I had a few ruminating. (laughs) (laughs) Martin Tyler's cell phone went off in that press conference and no one would correct him. Yeah. Hey, no one. It felt like forever. Yeah, it, it did. It, it did. felt he like was, forever. He was fumbling around for that cell phone. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we got we had a chance to tour Cobham. Uh, top class all around. Sam helped us today on our experience at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. He was worried for he us. He was worried. But he was, was worried was, for us was, naive it's, it's, Americans not really knowing yes, what exactly. we were getting into. And Sam got me appropriately worried, I guess, yes. by, by his just general level of concern. And it is. To it's Sam's an credit. intense experience. It's very intense. <laughs> These two teams don't like each other. From the players on down, that fixture meant something today. And I'm so happy, Chelsea, we're on the right side of it. Let's talk about this uh, ugly incident. And one that, in being in the away stands, it was sort of hard for us to really realize everything that was going on. But I think it all stems from the initial incident, which was Sun gets red carded for kicking his cleats up. I know there are some people out there on social media and some pundits getting at uh, Rudiger for embellishing a little bit, but every pundit that I've seen actually weigh in on this incident in the VAR age after several people got to look at it said that's a that's a red, and this is a, a, a strange recent habit for Son. It's third red card in a year. Yeah, one of them has been rescinded, but in the calendar year, he's had three red cards uh, kicking up his legs. I know an injury sort of indirectly stemmed from this last incident uh, that he had against Everton. So it's a weird thing that uh, he's been doing, but I guess frustrations from that one moment, and really probably frustrations from how the entire game is going. A projectile is thrown in the direction of Keppa, and shortly thereafter, again, apologies because we were at the game and it's hard to get the timeline completely down at the time of this recording, but Antonio Rudiger hears some racist chants from the stands. He and the captain alert officials as what the protocol demands, and shortly thereafter, there's announcement being made at the stadium. What is this protocol, as I'm not too familiar with it, Chris, when there is a reported racist incident or any sort of hate speech? Yeah, I've actually dealt with it uh, in my time covering Mexican football. They have a homophobic chant that uh, is often sung out during uh, goal kicks. And we saw today that there was announcement over the PA that's basically there will not, you know, race, racism is not, you know, welcomed here at this stadium is, is the essential me- message of it. But it was it sounded out three times. Now, the protocol is from FIFA that the first time uh, it's announced over the PA and basically say it said that if it continues, the game will stop. And then after the second time, there will be a brief stoppage. And then if there is a third time, then the players are to be pulled off the field. Now, there is talk about the players maybe taking action on their own. I think that's putting a perhaps unfair burden on the players to sort of make those kinds of judgments. But we don't know how far the FIFA protocol got. 
in this game. Uh, what we do know is that the game carried on and that Antonio Rudiger has reported this, and, and now there will be investigations into ultimately who were the culprits and what will be the respective punishments for them. But this is a broader problem in the game, and Frank Lampard had his say after the game courtesy of the Fist Stand app. All I know is that Tony Rudiger has said that he had a racist chanting or comment. I haven't had an individual conversation with Tony. I've only addressed the group and a couple of the lads are in doping. But of course, I'll support Tony as we would support any of our players. In fact, any opposition players, wherever this happens, whatever stadium it happens at, needs to be dealt with. And um, as I don't know any more than that, we'll wait for the process to happen. So we'll await what that investigation turns up. Obviously, there is no place in the game for any sort of hate speech. Understanding that the majority of people attending these matches are of that opinion, and these are the actions of a few, but it needs to absolutely be eradicated, and these people, these individuals that are responsible in all these instances across European football need to be dealt with and appropriately banned for life. Let's turn our attention back to the soccer because that was an ugly moment in what was otherwise a spectacular experience for the Chelsea players, the Chelsea management, the Chelsea fans that made the trip over there. And now is the hope that this could be the start of something, whether it's more of that 3-4-3 or just confidence. Chelsea have Southampton next. The fixtures start picking up. Danny Ings has been on an absolute tear for Southampton. He's now tied with Tammy Abraham for second in the league in goals scored. Southampton, we actually went to this fixture last year, Southampton at the bridge, and it was a nil-nil draw. We know Chelsea have been one of the better teams away from the bridge, but now comes the burden of expectation and consistency and an opponent in Southampton that's been the kind of scary opponent that Chelsea's been struggling with as of late here, Chris. Yeah, and you look at the next week as well. It starts on Thursday on Boxing Day with the Southampton match. Then you have Arsenal, and then you have Brighton. That's all in the span of a week. That's Brighton away as well. But again, to me, I kind of almost judge Chelsea more on what they're going to do against these teams that are in the bottom half of the table than I do again in the top half. Obviously, those top half results are big, and they lay down markers in a season. But the consistency of a Premier League team is measured in what you do week in, week out against this kind of opposition. Liverpool are top of the league, uh, not because of the fact that they beat City and the fact that they beat uh, you know all the teams at the top. It's because they don't draw. Right. <laughs> no, it's not because of our. It's not because of Liv our yeah. our pool. Yeah, uh, but I was, I was led to believe. <laughs> Sorry, but uh, but it's because they take care of business against the bottom half of the table, and I think Chelsea would be a lot higher up in terms of points if they manage better results against these sorts of teams. So I'm curious how Southampton will come to the bridge and set up if they'll uh, you know defend in a deep block again, and what Chelsea's answers are at that point, and is a back three even particularly useful in that scenario? So I think Frank Lampard continues to have questions to answer about how they're going to solve these problems. But you're right, Danny Ings, when you have a striker on form, that generally means that a team is going to stay up. And with the way that he's playing, Southampton have every chance to stay up and also have a chance to, at the very least, nick a goal at the bridge. I'm excited to see what is next tactically for Frank Lampard, how he approaches this. He said that the 3-4-3, he wanted to go to it to improve not only the defending but the attacking as well. And I was sort of thinking to myself, wait, we, we just have one of those things that can just improve attacking <laughs> and defending and we're we're not going to it? Obviously, the times that he has gone to it, it's a small sample, but Chelsea have looked really good. And Chelsea have been blessed with pretty versatile players that can play along there. I know American fans are probably disappointed. I know Chelsea might 
up host are certainly disappointed that Christian Pulisic didn't feature in this, but he can certainly play within this formation. And if his time with the national team shows you anything, you can also play along in the middle, Chris. Yeah, and to me, one of the things that I think Frank Lampard is struggling with in, in figuring out this system is think about what ends up having to be sacrificed. First off, you're playing with five defenders instead of four. So that means you're taking a number out of midfield. You're taking perhaps a number out of the forward line and some of the players that are sacrificed by virtue of going to this. So Jorginho didn't play today. Pulisic didn't play today, or it didn't start today. Uh, in Pulisic's case, he didn't play today. Do you put Reese James in there? And if you do put Reese James in, do you move Espeliqueta into the back three? And then in which case, which of the three center backs go to the bench? So there's all kinds of, I think Frank wants to keep this squad activated. And without a Carabao Cup to play in, the FA Cup will start again soon. The Champions League carries on. But I'll be curious to see, he wants to probably keep 19, 20 players happy. And can you when you're moving around systems like this? So, well, well during the festive fixtures, Chris, if if I may, it's not only about keeping players happy; it's also about keeping players fit. fresh and fit. And look, Mason Mount was spectacular tonight against Tottenham, especially in that first half. But Mason Mount found himself as a reserve too. Every player is going to be uh, facing this to to a degree. Mostly, every player is going to be facing coming out of the starting eleven, and they all want to play. They all do, but it's up to the manager to not only manage the, the squad, but also manage the personalities in that locker room. This is a young team, and they seem to have bought in on what Frank's doing. They had a great week of training, and I think that this was just merely one part in a, a group of maybe four fixtures that Frank Lampard was looking at as a whole. Granted, his focus was on this one match leading up to it because it meant a lot, but in terms of his decision for the starting 11, you have to start thinking about the Southamptons. You have to start thinking about the Arsenals and the Brightons, especially with champions coming up. You need a team that's like a razor's edge. You saw that with Marcus Alonso, a player who wasn't really dependent on, comes into the starting 11 and turns in what is pretty much a really brilliant performance for yeah. him considering the circumstances. And Marcus Alonso is a player that fits specifically in that system. Yes. right. I don't think... I think we've seen in the years since that he's tried in the left of a back four. doesn't really work. He's in the left of a back five or, I guess, you know, in the left of a midfield four, right, when you play a line of three and then a line of four. That's his best role. I don't want to call him a specialist, but... I think he is one. He might be. I mean, he was playing center forward today, so <laughs> I, everything that I know about Marcus Alonso yeah. has been thrown out of the well, window. Now, it, it is called wing back. Sometimes <laughs> that is winger. But, uh, but Marcus Alonso fits specifically in that system. He might be a player who's best in the world at that system. Now, you can play that system over the course of an entire season, which is what Antonio Conte did, but that's specifically what he's good at. And so to take best advantage of him, but are you building your system around him? Probably not, but it works for other players as well. So those are the kind of questions that Lampard has to solve. My question is, is that an answer when you're trying to build up against a team that you're keeping 65% possession and you're going to break a team down from a back three slash five system? I don't know. Uh, that's for Frank Lampard to decide. But it can be an answer. I don't think that's generally how teams would approach a situation like that. I'm smiling right now as you're doing this, and I kind of tuned you out because I was just remembering what the the Chelsea away supporters were chanting <laughs> at the Tottenham fans. I'm like, one of my favorite Which chants one? was just like, they've done it again. They've done it to you again. Yeah. Why won't you ever learn, Tottenham? <laughs> London is blue, and Arsenal hopefully will find that out over the weekend too. If you haven't checked out this Pride of London video Chelsea FC have put out on their social media handles, make sure you do because that is really well done. And I was 
was expecting to see like a Nike swoosh or another one of their partners in there. Yokohama. No. Yeah, that was a, a, a club-produced commercial, and the brand that they were representing was the Pride of London, Chelsea Football Club. So make sure you get that. I really enjoy the subtle dig. Is it subtle? When uh, when William's at a Brazilian barbershop and <laughs> fans are asking him, did they really pay for your airline ticket? <laughs> well, pretty apropos today as he took flight against Tottenham was uh, the man of the match. I'm just buzzing, man. This was a week to remember, a match to remember, a celebration to remember. I can't thank Chelsea Football Club enough for investing in the American experience, I guess, caring about this marketplace and allowing us to give you this content, which is really just me geeking out and you trying to <laughs> rein me in at times. But I think even you felt that a little bit this week, Chris Whittingham. I did. I did. I, I enjoyed myself. I enjoy any time at a Premier League ground. But today was a specific experience, the away experience. I love the singing. I'll sing to any song. I don't care for which club it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and the singing today was brilliant. I've and seen Chelsea plenty of times. I've seen Chelsea away even. But I've never seen Chelsea away with the away supporters. And They're a special <laughs> bunch. That was. It felt scary at times, quite honestly. <laughs> when we were there awaiting their arrival and it was a scene out of a movie yeah it's like a cavalry yeah. it's incredible you just hear chanting off in the background and an army marching towards that the turns stadium. A corner with horses in front of them it's like yeah. what is this you, you is that is that the super frank song what, what is that in, on the horizon and then sure enough chelsea give us a moment and a result in a match in a derby that we will remember forever. If you like what you hear here on Chelsea Miked Up, we've worked really hard for you this week. Make sure to listen to our previous interviews. Some of them are timeless. Tammy Abraham played well today against Tottenham. We interviewed him. Christian Pulisic obviously will be a huge part of this club going forward. We get incredible access thanks to the club and great player interviews. Uh, not just with players, but with people surrounding the team. We got to speak with uh, Chairman Bruce Buck, who is an American, and that was a delight. So if you want that access to Chelsea Football Club, this is the podcast for you. We get great interviews, and please reward us with that subscription. Share with your friends, post it on your social media, and follow at Chelsea FC in USA on Twitter for all the latest developments, not only with the club, not only with our podcast, but admin's quite funny too. So that'll be it for us from London. The next time we'll speak to you will be hopefully on the heels of a victorious effort against Southampton. Till then, up the Chelsea.